And uh, it, you know, it seems less about falling profit margins than it does about shifting company resources from whatever you're doing to AI. Hey, Scott, how are you? I am good and relieved. My power is back on. So oh, good. Uh, no good. And you're home. Yes, always good in the home uh, after our crazy storm. So I'm, I'm happy and I have light. Well, you only have a short amount of time. I know it's a very busy day, so let's hop right in. Uh, let's get Elon Musk out of the way so we don't have to deal with him too much. A uh, Delaware judge struck down his multi-billion dollar pay package with Tesla, saying that the board members of Tesla who, sa- who had signed off on that package were way too deeply beholden to Musk. I've never heard of a, a judgment like that, but I guess it has to do with partly with Steve Jervilson, the Silicon Valley VC who got into a whole bunch of trouble with women and drugs and all that and had to quit his firm. And, he, and Elon really came to his defense and Jervison's on the board or he's about to leave the board. Uh, and then some other board members too that Elon has helped out along the way. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. When this happened, I must admit, it was new to me, too. And I wasn't sure if it was new to me because I just didn't know all that much about how boards operate. They're sort of the people, the men and women in the shadows that are there, if you think about it, to keep the CEO in check, right? Not to necessarily just get financially rich. But I don't know, having looked into this a bit, that that's how it works with anything around Elon Musk. I think people are there not so much to keep him in check but rather to ride that extremely lucrative gravy train. And in Delaware, apparently, where they dot a lot of I's and cross a lot of T's, they found something, uh, maybe many things wrong with the scenario. And it's weird. I can, I can see both sides. I can see where a board would be too much in it with Musk as opposed to being on the too outside. Much, too much a rubber stamp, yeah. Right, but, but also... You know, the shareholders, I mean, goodness, you know, whatever his package, uh, shareholders are going to vote for him because he's made them a tremendous amount of money. And so I I don't really know where this goes from here. But if it's just that they didn't follow what Delaware needs to follow, they'll solve something. Musk will still be wealthy and everybody will be happy. But um, this does bring to mind that, you know, the role of a board is really to keep those guys in check, not to just rubber stamp everything. But the board members especially in recent years, have a deep fiduciary responsibility now to represent the shareholders. Right. Not to represent the guy getting rich. Right. Yeah. Who made them really rich. Though I'm not sure Larry Ellison is in that much need of money because he's on the board too. Right. He's not in need of money, but he's a good friend of Elon Musk. So I, I don't know that he would be able to, and we both know Larry Ellison, that he would be able to sort of take a back seat and just hold him in check. Uh, I think he's along for the ride and it has been a wild ride. All right. Speaking of wild, do you think there's this, that the latest reports on Elon and his drug use are influencing this in any way? I mean, the wall street journal reported that Tesla employees are concerned about Musk's known use of cocaine, ecstasy, LSD, mushrooms and apparently lately uh because he has a prescription ketamine 
I mean, that's quite a pharmaceutical catalog right there. Right. I mean, my initial thought is, no, this doesn't have anything to do with that because those are issues that maybe a board would look at, not Delaware where you're incorporated. Delaware is going to look at the numbers and see if they're, if they're doing it right. Um, but what the Wall Street Journal sort of is trying to shine a light on, I think, is whether or not the board is really doing its fiduciary responsibility in, in looking and maybe taking a hard look at Musk. I just don't know how much into a personal life a board of directors should or is supposed to look. Um, and again, you, you really can't knock the performance. You can say Musk is doing too many things at once with, you know, drilling tunnels and launching yeah. rockets and there's cars and, you know, chips and brains. I mean, there's a lot going on. But, um, oh, and by the way, Twitter. But, you know, as far as, say, Tesla shareholders, um, you know, I mean, they, they're making a lot of money. Yeah, and, and, and a lot of people are going to look the other way for, you know, any weaknesses. But I wonder if there's any kind of morals clause in Elon's employment contract. Probably not. Probably not. Yeah, probably not. Okay. Uh, looks like yeah, Google and Yahoo are working together to fight bulk email marketers, guys who put out 5,000 emails a day or more. And the good news is, finally... But the bad news is observers say once they put the guardrails in, this will probably make some of those marketers do even more. We may get more junk mail, junk emails in the future because of this partnership between Google and Yahoo. I don't, we don't even think about Yahoo anymore, but I guess, okay, fine, good for Yahoo. But Google, that's kind of a big deal. Yeah, you know, the thing that jumps out at me is, is right, the relevance of Yahoo and that they're working with Google. You know, Google still has some, I mean, a lot of pixie dust. I mean, you saw maybe the um, Pinterest earnings, the San Francisco-based company. They weren't very good. Pinterest has been struggling. The stock just absolutely tanked on Thursday after the market closed. But then in the call, they announced some sort of an app deal with Google and things recovered. <laughs> and uh, so you want to hang out with Google is, I think, the moral of this story um, yeah. I will believe that we'll get less spam email when I see it because yeah. I'm a big Gmail guy. Um, and yeah. gosh, the percentage of stuff that I get that is just, and then Gmail does a good job of putting it right into the spam, but it's so much of it. Yeah. When you go in the spam folder and you look at how many things got blocked and still you see how many got through, <laughs> it's mind boggling. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, this is interesting. Last Friday, we talked about this. Meta had a great quarter. You know, they're doing really well. But what I didn't notice at the time was they also announced their first dividend to shareholders. Now, yeah, Meta reminds us they're a 20-year-old company, you know, public and, and all of that. But historically, Silicon Valley companies don't give out dividends. And there's three reasons. I mean, uh, one of them is it suggests that the company's gotten mature, that it's peaked, you know, and its, it's, it's glory days are behind it. The second reason is companies typically around here say, oh, no, we're not giving out dividends. You need to know that when we go public because we're going to keep plowing that money back into R&D. Uh, so that's weird. And then finally, the third reason you don't give out dividends is because you start collecting 
you know, coupon cutter uh, shareholders. You know, the average age goes way up because they want the dividend. They're not worried about stock growth. What would possess Meta to do this right now? I think you said it. I think all of those things, none of them apply in a traditional sense to Meta. Meta is wildly profitable. It is wildly successful. It is also battling. Um, I mean, come on. Parents are showing up to hearings with pictures of their children who took their lives because of social media, largely Facebook and Instagram. Meta is both wildly profitable and wildly hated, and they need to do something about it. And if that is pleasing what you call coupon-cutting shareholders, they need to do it. Also, Meta makes so much money. Its yeah. big cost, as we now know, is its workers, 20 or 22% of which they jettisoned in the last year, just got rid of them, putting bodies on the street. And that, you saw what shareholders did there, increased its value to above a trillion dollars. So Meta is really, really cash rich and image poor. And I think it needs to show that it's a mature company capable of making mature decisions. And really the best way a tech company can do that, I think, is to pay its shareholders, all of them, a dividend. I think it's a good move. Okay, uh, so interesting marketing uh, theory that... You're killing teenage girls, but people will be mollified because they get $2.25 dividend. Every no. no, no, they won't. And by the way, it's only a 50 cent a share dividend. Oh, even um, worse. <laughs> but look, Meta needs to show that it's a mature company. Yeah. And I'm not saying that it's, I mean, you know, the whole money, is it worth it question has been asked because there's so much money here, both in profits and shareholder value. So I'm not saying that 50 cents, you know, a 50 cent dividend is going to make a huge dent in that. I think it's more about the maturity that yeah. they need to show. Um, you know, Zuckerberg didn't look a little older in that hearing by accident. Um, he didn't turn around and face those parents by accident. These are things the company needs to do, should have done 10 years ago, yeah. and they're hopelessly behind. And, uh, you know, it, it needs to say we're a mature company. And more than just saying that, which will definitely fall on deaf ears because Facebook is so, you know, amazingly bad at this stuff, um, it needs to do something about it. And I think paying a dividend is a good idea. I've always been surprised that tech companies don't pay more dividends or that more tech companies don't pay dividends. I believe in R&D, all that. I get it. But it's a way to say to shareholders, we want you around for the long term and we are a mature company as opposed to how you all see us in Silicon Valley which is kind of a fly-by-night idea that might just go away. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll believe it even more when I see, you know, white sideburns on Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> okay. Someday, I don't know. Yeah. Uber. Uber this week just posted its very first yearly profit since it went public five years ago. It's kind of interesting. We don't think about Uber now, but we've all assimilated into our lives. And I remember writing my column, I was doing a column for ABC, I kept pointing out that Amazon was a huge company, but it still hadn't turned a profit. And then one day it suddenly did, and boom, the company just took off. Looks like Uber has made that turn now. Yeah, and, and that's really impressive on a couple of notes. I mean, because of the commoditization of rideshare companies, 
you know, you've seen Lyft really struggle. And yet Uber has become sort of the, the poke in this, I guess, right? You know, and it's done really well. It's sort of, let's get an Uber, kind of like, let's get a Xerox or Google something. And, um, and that's helpful. Uh, the great move, I think, was to step up and deliver food during the pandemic. That kept a lot of these guys afloat. Um, you know, Uber is a $71 stock as we speak. And uh, who knew that it would be this much higher even than its, its IPO price after all that hype? And then just the sort of crushing blow of, well, this gig economy is never going to work. And now um, I'm curious about its market value. Let me look that up really quick. It's a, it's a hundred, nearly a $150 billion company that wow. gives you rides and delivers you food. That's, it's, it's impressive on a lot of levels and kind of surprising too. Okay, uh, next, tech layoffs. Uh, they continue. This week it was DocuSign. And uh, it, you know, it seems less about falling profit margins than it does about shifting company resources from whatever you're doing to AI. And it's everybody in traditional jobs, they're, they're vulnerable right now. But if you've got any kind of AI skills or any kind of programming skills that lend itself to AI, this time is golden for you. It is. I worry a little bit, as I often do, about the economic inequality that may come from this. Remember, the fears uh, job-wise of AI was, well, it'll just wipe out sort of the you know non-educated jobs and things like that, um, pencil pusher kind of jobs. I don't know. I think AI may actually start coming for those mid-level, um, you know, college-educated, maybe even master's degree kind of jobs. And if that wipes out, you know, a ton of middle-class earnings... Uh, and even Sam Altman is saying this could cause, you know, a lot of job loss. Um, that's the kind of area where you see uh, consumers really, really get angry uh, and not be able to pay their mortgages and, and things like that. And maybe even hit the tax base of, of some of these towns. So I wonder if we might start to see some backlash if that is indeed what happens. If we're told, hey, appreciate the computer science degree, appreciate your master's, maybe even your doctorate. But it's not quite in the niche area that's really hot right now. So we don't want you get back to us after you've had more schooling. Uh, that, that'll be interesting if that happens on a, a wide level. In the meantime, enjoy the soup kitchen. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing to tell like journalists, you know, we tend to be not all that highly educated, right? So I'm not going to be out there saying, but I did all this studying and got all these degrees. Why are you taking my job? But if it was someone who's far more educated and I'm surrounded by them every day in Silicon Valley, that's where people start to get ticked, I think. You know, uh, as long as we're on AI, a guy named um, Siriram Krishnan, is, he has a newsletter, and he came up with a very interesting theory that there's a new paradigm emerging. And that is human beings are going to be almost strangers to the Internet because chatbots, along with server farms, he had mentioned server farms, but, you know, they're sucking out a large fraction of the power on the U.S. power grid, these chatbots coming out of supercomputers like the quantum computers that Microsoft is building right now will produce so much traffic on the Internet. It's going to be like if you're just a human being in your little car, you're going to be walking into a gridlock as this stuff is racing around at light speeds, gathering stuff from thousands, even millions of, of sites. Interesting image. I mean, that the internet will know. We talk about the internet of things, but it might be the internet of AI bots. 
gosh, maybe it will spark a movement to allow people and companies to surf at the same speeds. Gosh, I, I that seems to have been something a few years back that I remember causing a I remember whole lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and now instead of going up against the Netflixes of the world or against the, the high paying subscribers, we'd be going up against the machines themselves, which will be weird. Very weird. Uh, by the way, I really think that the AI revolution, you know, a couple of years ago, we were saying, what's the next big thing? Well, now we know. And uh, my sense is AI is going to produce a lot of jobs, but there's going to be this period in between between the loss of all the jobs and displacement and the arrival of new new startups, new jobs and everything else. And will and will the new will the new number of jobs equal the ones that were lost? And that's still completely unknown. Right. And I think another new issue is what we were speaking of just a few minutes ago is the time period between the job losses and gains that is going to be Right, long enough where people start to really raise their pitchforks up and, and get angry. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, real quick. Congressional investigators just accused American venture capital firms of investing a billion dollars in the Chinese chip industry, claiming that it's uh, aided that nation in becoming a security and military threat to the United States. You know, they're talking about China now, but the China of a couple of years ago was a pretty worthy target for venture capital investment. And so I wonder if, the, if these guys are getting tarred for what they did was what, what they did at a time when it was considered smart thinking. It's a good question. I mean, a, a China that struggles a bit with its economy, I mean, could that not be a little more dangerous uh, yeah. to America? Yeah. So I, I don't really know. All I know is that all these headlines about the chip companies, it's, um, it's amazing. It's like, Chips are everywhere in the news. They're the hottest thing in the world. I just watched a documentary about, you know, Wham! and We Are the World, and I think I'm living 30 years ago all of a sudden. Yeah, it, it feels like 1974 all over again. <laughs> it, it's amazing. Okay. Uh, and Finally, the company that will not die, the zombie company. Rumors are that Adam Newman, I don't know, we call him a disgraced founder of WeWork, the company that will never die is working with, and it's even in bankruptcy, is working with a hedge fund, Third Point, and other investors in exploring a bid to buy the bankrupt company and turn it around. The same company he was forced out of five years ago. What do you think? I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that is, that's even recent history. Like, you don't have to go to the history books to find all the weirdness that Adam Newman did to torpedo tens of billions of dollars in shareholder value the first time around. So a VC firm that jumps in with him again is, I mean, I don't know, like what desert island have you had to have been on the last five years or so to say, let's give that guy money for that company. Um, I, I don't have an answer for it. <laughs> we'll see if they actually give him money. I mean. <laughs> Maybe Newman just floating a rumor in order to raise his profile again. I don't know, but it's just wacky. Okay, I want to do a shout out to one of our most enduring viewers, uh, Jeff Soul out of Santa Clara. And uh, I talked to him today. He listens to us every Friday. He watches us. I'm sorry. He likes us better. Look, He likes looking at us and our reaction takes. 
Um, but he, he watches it every week to know what's going on in the Valley. Okay, that's it for now, folks. You can find us on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. You can see Scott on Facebook and X, and of course, every weeknight on NBC Bay Area. And as for me, occasionally you'll see me everywhere in the world on BBC World Radio Show Business Matters. Have a great weekend. I, given our audience, I'm not sure I should say go Niners, but go Niners. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.